Hello and welcome to the very first Retro Rugby Show. What we're going to do in these shows is we're going to go back in time, have a look at a, uh, a game that is special to my guests, uh, and we'll talk through the game, what happened, and relive some wonderful memories um, as well. Sometimes good and sometimes bad, in all honesty. Let's be honest, um, not all wonderful memories are good. But um, So that's what we're going to do. And joining me to do it, I have John O'Connor and um, Mikey Scott. How are you doing, guys? Hey, cheers, guys. Thanks for having us on, Paul. Thanks for having us, Paul. So, this game that we're going to go through is goes Texas all the way back to 2011. Let's be honest, that year kicked off with everybody looking towards the Rugby World Cup. But um, we then had an absolute uh, tragedy down in Christchurch um, with the earthquakes down there, uh, obviously destroying the city, uh, causing... Um, deaths uh, and basically they're still rebuilding now uh, back in, in 2020 so nine years on um, at the time that obviously meant that the crusaders couldn't play their games uh, down in christchurch so they took the uh, their games on the road and one of those games they took on the road they came all the way up to twickenham in london to what is commonly known or what is uh, as, as hq to english rugby fans um so uh, and this game was between the Crusaders and the Sharks. Now, John, is this game special just because you're a Sharks fan, or, or, or why does this game particularly hang in the memory? Look, Look I'm just, I'm just, I'm just shaking, shaking my head because it's, yeah, yeah, this English, English fan yeah, here talks about, about HQ. HQ. I mean, I can understand Lord, you know, being two hundred and fifty odd years old. But, uh, so the mink and mink said, uh, this is the HQ of rugby. I think why it's so special is, multi is multifaceted. I think the most important part of it all is what Christchurch was going through. And, uh, you know, for, for the listeners who don't know the history of New Zealand and what was happening in New Zealand at that time is that Christchurch was not seen as, uh, excuse the pun, epicenter of earthquake activity. That was seen as Wellington, which experiences multiple earthquakes during the year, little ones all the, quite often. And so um, there was a, a first quake in the September of 2010, and then there was this terrible earthquake in 2011 in February uh, that devastated the city. And, and not only did it, uh, kill people and buildings collapsed. Not only was the situation where so many people were homeless, um, and as you mentioned, still rebuilding nine years later, but the stadium, the Christchurch uh, Stadium, uh, which was formerly Jade and then renamed whatever, was so badly damaged that in the end it was torn down, but it wasn't safe. So suddenly you had the Crusaders on the road. So there's, that's the number one thing, is this match was moved to Twickenham as a fundraiser. And there was such a sense of fraternity in the rugby community, in that uh, the English Rugby Union made the venue available. The Sharks agreed, they have to play the game, they agreed to travel from Durban to the UK to play this game with the Crusaders. Well, well let's, let, let's, just, let's just stop for a second here, because... The, the, the travel is going to be a big thing for this game, uh, as far as play goes. So, yes, the Crusaders, the weekend before, were playing, um, I think it was, the, the Highlanders in New Zealand and then flew up. But for this, right. this was the fourth match on tour for the Sharks. So they'd already played twice in Australia, once in New Zealand. And so they were also travelling from New Zealand. Yeah. They threw from New Zealand back to Durban and then up to Twickenham. So, boy, yes, both these teams arrived pretty knackered. Let's be honest, uh, and consider, yeah. considering that the that the display they put on was was something phenomenal. It was absolutely, and that's the, that's the thing that that make has made all these years later made the game stick in my mind was the quality of the game, and maybe uh, you know maybe there was something in the air in that with what had happened in Christchurch, a lot of things you know when we're experiencing this now with uh, COVID-19 striking the world so dramatically, is it puts things in perspective. What is really important? Uh, what is really dangerous, right? And maybe there was this air of, 
of uh, I don't maybe it's fearlessness, maybe it's courage, maybe it's realization that this is a game to be played and enjoyed, right? And but that's how they're played. And then there was the well, Super Williams Just quick on, on that as well. Also, this is the only Super Rugby game to have ever been held in uh, in Europe. I'm not going to say Northern Hemisphere yes. because Japan's in the Northern Hemisphere. I think it was also right. an element here of this was um, Super Rugby uh, back then, especially used to get basically have have this image or, or the the Northern view of it was or the European view of it was that basically it was basketball rugby. Um, and that there wasn't really much defence and tackling involved. It was just yeah. throw the ball around. I think there was also an element of right. We are this. This. This is the first ever game, and there's never happened since uh, in Europe. We're going to put on a. We're going to put on a show to show these Europeans what Super Rugby really is. As, I think there's also an element of that was 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 there as well as to kind of we want to um, show what what our what our product is. Mm. Yes. Uh, yes. That's a very good point. Um, and I've I've been very disappointed over the years because at the time I thought this this will jolt European rugby to realise that that rugby can be played like this in the right conditions at the right you know and we've spoken about moving the European season or something to better conditions but rugby can be played like this and experienced like this as a sport if you're a spectator you could watch this kind of rugby. Um, but I do think one thing to stand out, and I really want to hand over to Mikey here, is that Sonny Bill Williams had, had come back to rugby. When I say back, um, let's, let's be fair, he'd got, there was, there's two stints when he's come to rugby from rugby league. But this was the first time he was young. He had spent some seasons at uh, Toulon, right? Toulon? At Toulon. Um, under the tutelage uh, of Tana Umanga. I think Tana's played with him in the sort of last season, uh, uh, season of his career as a player and then coached him. And he came now into Super Rugby wanting to qualify to play the 2011 World Cup, which he did from the bench. And he was playing next to Dan Carter. Well, hang on, let's, let's, let's just all, remind ourselves. At Toulon, he was playing between... Um, Johnny Wilkinson and Tanneri Manga. Then he went down south and played between, <laughs> played next to Dan Carter. Yeah, um, he had kind of an, an easy ride of it in some ways. Yes, he 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 had the a perfect introduction, right? But what happened at this at this game is, I believe, that I believe in the last thirty years, the two most impactful players on the game of rugby have been John Alomu and. Sonny Bull Williams, and he's a he's a polarizing figure here in New Zealand is Sonny Bull, but I know having been in South Africa in that time, that he forever changed rugby, and I realized this when I saw a tight head prop from a very conservative Afrikaner school. When I say conservative, let's be fair, conservative rugby brand Afrikaner school, make an offload in the tackle, a tight head prop. This was probably five years after this 2011 game, and I realized Sonny Bull had changed the game forever. That would never have happened before Sonny Bull. And so in this game, you see all that he had, just the, the wares were laid out for everyone to marvel at. And I think similar to that, that game where uh, Jonah ran over the English, sorry, Paul, at uh, in Cape Town, I've got a funny feeling that, 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 that'll be another retro rugby rugby uh, rugby show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's similar to that game in in '95 when uh, uh, in Cape Town in the semi-final of the World Cup, where the whole world was jolted. This game here is where the whole world went whoa. That is that we've never seen anything like that before. So, Mikey. Welcome to the, uh, the the channel, and um, you've just learned that if you let John go, you're not going to get to say another word for the next five minutes. So uh, I, I'm, quite, I'm quite happy listen, listening to John. He's, uh, he's uh, as always. I think I've said it to you before. It's, uh, he's a brilliant analyst and uh, you know, student of the game. So don't don't say in front of him. Jeez, please. <laughs> I like this man. <laughs> man is a keeper. 
So what else can I add to that? I'm not entirely sure I can add anything to what you've just said. It's everything you, you know, uh, everything I've been thinking about this game and, and the importance of it to, uh, to uh, New Zealand. And uh, you know, just part of my background, I, I coached uh, 60 miles or 100K south of uh, Christchurch in uh, 2627 uh, at a place called Ashburton. Um, pretty exciting pretty exciting town but uh and i went back for the 2011 world cup and uh, so i was in constant communication with my friends uh, after the uh, after the quake uh, and it was heartbreaking to go into christchurch land there and see what had happened it wasn't a city any longer it was just a bunch of buildings being destroyed uh, so you know, this this uh that season, the 2011 season for the Crusaders, uh, was really, I don't know, just uh, solidified what I, my remembrances of my friends in New Zealand and seeing what the game was all about, uh, the, the fraternity, the brotherhood, the coming together as, as one uh, to help out. Um, and they had a pretty exciting brand of rugby, too, <laughs> at that point. Yeah, they still do. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great to watch it, and uh, there's so many things I take from you know, uh, that uh, that uh, that Crusaders team, and I still still use them in my coaching practices, you know, all the time. I was going to say that, that that's why I, I I dragged onto this particular game because you mentioned in in, in our in our Facebook chat that um, you there was there was one try, and we'll get onto it later, but. There's one try in this game that you still that you still you you, you still coach your team to do, um, yeah. teams to do because uh, and that's yeah this is where you got that from. So I thought yeah also that was a kind of poignant moment for me from from, from this uh, from this game. Mikey, as somebody who is in Canada, and when you when you saw this game, you know, on top of all the emotion and the the ties that you have with that area. And what they'd been through. What did you What did you think when you watched this brand of rugby unfold before your eyes? Oh, it's, it was amazing, and it was even more shocking that uh, uh, it was being held in you know Twickenham, as Paul says, HQ, rugby HQ. <laughs> um, I went, wow, God, how many English people are going to start tuning into Super Rugby now? Because that was a bloody exciting game. I don't just Full, full of, full of, oh, oh, skills and offloads and and uh, you know the emergence as you said earlier of Sunny Bill, uh, just you know it changed the game. Like it was, it was about a year later that we actually started coaching offloads because so many people were saying, oh, how do we do this? How do we do this? And as coaches, we're going, okay, we're going to have to try and figure this out somehow <laughs> because. The guy revolutionized, the, as you said, the, the, the modern game. One one player. And I see, you know, as you said, you've seen props doing it. I see second rows doing it now. Props. Everyone's doing the offload. Yeah, yeah it's so part of the game now. It's we, I couldn't even conceive a game now any longer where there wasn't this going on. So we mentioned that it was raising money. It's raising money for Red Cross, um, Christchurch Peel, uh, and thirty-five thousand people. Um, made their way to Twickenham um, for for this game. Um, we had obviously the minute silence and something you just don't see in rugby. Well, in sport, pretty much outside of the uh, of North America, we we had we had the anthems as well um, before this game. So both sides lining up. There'll be a bunch of players there who have never played and probably never will again play a rugby game with their national anthem played before it. Um, mm. I didn't think of that. That's very very true, Paul. The, um, there are lots of poignant moments in this one. Take you back. Um, in, I, I was I was hoping we would have some 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 sort of retro comms, but no. Stuart Barnes and Justin Marshall were on the microphones, um, so pretty much what we have nowadays hasn't changed. The referee, though, the referee with the best hair in the game, who was it? Of course. <laughs> it certainly wasn't uh, Andre Watts because he didn't have much hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm amazed. Steve Walsh. Ah, okay. Yes. <laughs> the man who would look up at the big screen and do his hair. 
<laughs> mid-game. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the referee's equivalent to Percy Montgomery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he had a, he had an okay game um, in this one, but you there a, you can definitely tell times have changed with um, with some of the lack well the lack of cards, um, especially in this one. Um, straight from the off, we we, we the, the the try we'll get onto is a. Um, is a big break, but only two minutes in, we've got the, the Crusaders off first phase, putting. Actually, sorry, I've not run through the teams. Let me just run through mm-hmm. the teams. You mentioned some of the players, but the Crusaders lineup was Wyatt Crockett, Corey Flynn, um, Owen Franks, Rad Thorne, obviously at the Reds now, uh, Sam Whitelock, who's still around, um, George Whitelock, Matt Todd, and Kieran Reed, Andy Ellis and Dan Carter were the were running the show with um, Sonny Bill Williams and Robbie Fruin. Oh, that was a big, big midfield. Um, And a back three of Zach Guilford, Sean Maitland, obviously he's now with Scotland, um, and Israel Dagg. By the way, can I just point out something here? There's a couple of names that are quite important to what's what's happened there. First of all, I think Corey Flynn played five or less tests for the All Blacks and is a, uh, is a vastly underrated hooker. He really is. So he's a, he's a, heart, he's a real heartbeat of that Crusaders era uh, where they, they made so many playoff rounds but didn't um, crack the, the, the final prize. Uh, this was all under Blackadder, right, as coach? That's right. That's right. So um, Corey Flynn is, is, a, is a key part of that. The other key part of that is Matt Todd. They had a real out-and-out seven and while he was still young sort of um and really at the height of his speed so remembering and just we've said this before on the channel the the purpose of a seven is not what we tend to see highlighted by commentators during the game which is uh, either winning turnovers the most flashy thing or slowing the ball down but the primary goal and i've got we've got a coach right here with us the primary purpose of a seven is to secure your own ball but is to make thing, sure the other thing we'll see him do ball during this game turned over or slowed down the thing i'll right? we'll see in this game is that he'll play the link man as well yeah uh, in this so game. you yeah so so he um he was he was helping of course nobody can attend every ruck or even every second ruck but his presence to clear away the slowing down hands um is really important and robbie fruin Talk about, um, well, I don't want to say a tragedy, but talk about a loss to rugby because this was before he was diagnosed with his heart condition and, um, and his, his true potential was never realized as a rugby player. He had operations and he tried to come back, but he was never the same player that you see in this period now. And also, um, if it wasn't for Nonu and Conrad Smith, he would have been and multiple all black as well. Um, yes. At this time. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty tough competition at that, uh, at that level. <laughs> An embarrassment of riches in New Zealand. Yeah. Now, you got to remember, yeah. this, this if Corey Flint was up against, uh, um, oh, I can see their faces in front of me, uh, Kevin Mialamu, yep. and in that era, as well as uh, the farmer from down south. Um, I think, uh, Carl, are we... No, no, not at, at, at Hooker. Um, anyway, I'll, 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 I'll let the name come to you. Okay. On the bench, Quinton McDonald, Ben Franks, just the one prop. It's a 22-man squad, not a 23-man squad. Chris Jack. And Chris Jack on the bench. Seriously. Um, John Poff, um, Khan Futalihi, the uh, Samoan international who went on to play for Ospreys and Saints uh, in the UK. Um Matthew Bur- um, Burquist and Adam Whitelock on the wing. Uh, uh, Whitelock, who's a winger. I'm not sure if that's allowed, but anyway. Um, so that was the that was the Crusaders lineup. Um, on the Sharks side, and John is going to going to kill me now for for pronunciations. But John Smith, um, obviously legend. Bis- Bismarck and Johnny <laughs> Deplice, um in that front row. Yeah. Sorry, Bismarck and Johnny, Johnny Deplee, the police. Anyway, uh, 
Um, Yanni Duplessis. Yanni Duplessis. There we go. Um, we then had um, Steve Sykes and Alistair Hargreaves um, in the um, locking uh, positions with uh, Keegan Daniel, William um, Alberts and um, Ryan Kankowski are your loose trio. Yes. Remember that... Uh, who, was who was playing hooker? It was John Smith, right? No, no, John Smith was playing prop. Um, was playing prop. Bismarck okay. was uh, a hooker. Okay. Um, you then had Carl uh, McLeod and um, Jacques Luce Potiga uh, at number 10 because um, uh, Lambie was injured for this game. The uh, Bosman, or Maya Bosman and Stefan Tablanche were the uh, sense combination uh-huh. with um, Lazani Movovo and uh, <laughs> Abawa and, and, and Gandhi were the wingers. <laughs> And um, <laughs> Lewis Ludic at fullback. Look, just, just, okay, pronounce it for me, please. We're rolling with it. <laughs> Luazi, Mvovo, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it's Odwa, right? Odwa, yeah. Yeah, Odwa, because he had a twin brother, Akona. So then they, they look just the same. They both got dreadlocks. Um, so it's uh, Odwa Indungani. Um, and who was back? Off the, sorry? Lewis Fulbeck? Uh, Lewis Ludic. Lewis Ludic? L-U-D-I-K, Ludic. Oh, Lewis Ludic. Okay, sorry, I couldn't hear you, broke up. It wasn't your terrible pronunciation of God's names. Off the bench, we had um, Eugene van der Staden, um, the beast. So you had, they had two props on the bench because Smith could move to hooker. Yes. Um, which was which gave them a, a, a different an advantage. Um, Gerhard Mostert, um, Jacques Boats, Conrad Hoffman, uh, Adrian Jacobs, and um, JP Peterson on the bench. Yeah. On, on the, the bench, bench. my goodness! goodness. <laughs> but he must have been coming back from injury. They were probably easing him back in from injury or something like that. Is the only way I can think think of it. But uh, you can see that there is a difference. Uh, especially in the, uh, you know, especially in the back line, there's a difference in talent level between what the Crusaders could put on the field and 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 those shots. Yeah, and having players like Chris Jacks, um, Ben Franks, who was an All Black at the time, um, on on the uh, on the bench as well, showed the yeah, the depth that the Crusaders could bring off the bench was definitely higher than the the Stormers. Sorry, the Sharks. Um, mm-hmm. Which is when we get down to this game, the score, you're going to say, oh, wow, the Crusaders won that easily. Mm-hmm. But if the, the, the difference actually in the end is pretty much kicks. Um, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, Pottinger just did not bring his kicking boots to this game. And he only made mm-hmm. one conversion, mm-hmm. which really was uh, was a big bit of it. Um, mm-hmm. But as I say, early on, we, we within the first six minutes, you can see how the Crusaders are going to play. First phase ball, off scrum. Um, spun out wide, Zach Gilford making breaks, uh, the or Sonny Bill Williams going through the middle with Fruin oh. then um, just off his shoulder, and with I say within the first few minutes they they, they could have scored a couple of tries, but instead scramble defence or um, uh, or or kind of or just running out of space on the, on the park meant that they got uh, they only got a penalty in the first six minutes. Um, the the sharks could have got themselves a penalty and could have come straight back into it after having having had no ball in that first nine minutes. But Possinger, as I said, just didn't have his kicking boots on that day, uh, and and couldn't hit the side of a barn. He not only missed penalties, but he also missed. I say he made one out of four conversions um, in this game. From a coaching point of view, you'll enjoy this one. Twenty-two dropout from Dan Carter. He stands all the way on the left, kicks a cross pitch. To all the way on the right, just what, just two meters out. So the ball is hanging in the air for a long, long time, and you saw th- there were definitely things that they were trying and doing in this game that you don't see very often. Because um, yeah. 22 dropouts, generally you take it from the middle, making the opposition think which side it's going to go. But no, it's not like it's going to drop there. But all my players are going to be underneath it, so good luck. Um, the and they did that. 
The first try actually goes to Alberts, who bashed over, and the Sharks take yeah. a, a 3-7 lead. And the Sharks could could retain ball here. But their problem in, in this game, in that first half, really, was just getting over that game line. Um, oh. The uh, and, and when, he, when he bashed over, he beat three players. When they did a bit picky going, Sharks got some got, got some got some go forward. Um, and the but they but the sharks do what they're doing in this game, make too many errors, give a penalty straight up, straight on the restart, and it's six it's six seven. So for that first fifty minutes, this is a very very close. It's a one point game. It doesn't blow out. Oh, yeah, it's not not shown the signs of blowing out in the way that it did. Um, I don't know if you guys what, what your guys' memories were of those opening. Sort of the opening quarter. Go for it, mate. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, my, my recollections go on this on this game. It was, uh, yeah, the first first uh, you know, just a couple of uh, prize fighters just uh, punching it out and uh, trying to sell out each other's weaknesses and, uh, and hand strengths. And uh, yeah. Based on what I'd seen the Crusaders playing earlier on in the season or prior to that, I thought it was going to be a lot more for the Crusaders. So I was happy the Sharks were making a, a really good game of it at that point. Uh, that was a pretty stacked team that the Crusaders had at the, for that match. What we then had, though, is, 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 is what we've seen the Crusaders do so many times is, is when they get the upper hand, They'll score mm. bang, 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 bang. Um, yeah. We had that 30 minutes um, that penalty on 30 minutes, 16 on 60 minutes. Maitland scores. There's inside ball, ball to Zach Guilford, who has Todd on his shoulder, who act, who just offloads the ball to, um, who passes the ball onto Maitland, who then goes and scores. You could hear Stuart mm-hmm. Arms in the commentary box going, "Whew!" And you're like, "Oh, he's just um, yes, he's just made a mess." Um, <laughs> he just. <laughs> The ecstasy, he just, he's just not used to watching this kind of rugby. And yeah, he's mm. like, wow, that was amazing. Um, mm. uh, in the, um, in there. Um, and then the, the, the shark scrum got absolutely monstered by the, by the Crusaders. It goes backwards. The scrum half is fumbling the ball. Um, Sonny Bill, uh, the ball comes out to Sonny Williams. He does a step, offloads to Carter. And Carter's under the posts, um, and uh-huh. suddenly we've gone from it being um, from being sort of uh, three three seven to being twenty seven in the space uh-huh. of just nine minutes, and uh-huh. the game is not quite gone. But suddenly there's a bit of breathing space to the, for the Crusaders, and that's been a hallmark of their play and the All Blacks' play really for the past decade, hasn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, the All Blacks, that, uh, you're almost reading from a script where, <clears throat> where you think you're in the game, you think you're in the game, you think you're in the game. Um, in the last, uh, let's say, 15 years, um, maybe a bit less in, in international rugby, against the All Blacks, you think you're in, think you're in the game think, and suddenly you go, how did that just happen? Yeah, it just happens so fast. It, you know, it usually yes. only takes a few minutes before uh, yes. suddenly you're... Exactly. How did that happen? <laughs> it's a, it's a, a ruthlessness when the opportunity presents itself. The, yeah. I've got a comment in here saying that we, we complain now about how long kickers take and how long these sort of things take, but boy, did the kickers take an age in this game. Thanks. Right. God, they brought in that 60 second rule because boy you, right. s- you can go and make a copy while they're lining up a, a penalty kick uh, yep. <laughs> remember those days I remember there was a remember the sand and um, oh, Andre <laughs> and Andre Petrius I think what he used to do is put the sand down put the ball on this is even after the kicking tee he still used sand and then he would take sand and then he would draw like an like a, oh, yes. put a trail of sand towards the, the poles, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, uh, so you guys can 
remember when you had to dig your foot into the ground to stick the ball into a divot. That's right. I remember that. Dig, dig, dig. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Certainly the ground in our city, it's all clay. <laughs> it's almost impossible. <laughs> um, then we come to the try that, uh, that, that, that Mikey was talking about. The, um, the, the Crusaders have a scrum. Had another knock on by 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 the Sharks. Um, the Andy Ellis takes the ball, passes it to Carter, passes it to Sonny Bill, who puts it out the back to Andy Ellis, who's on a who's who's running the loop. Straightens right. up, gives it to Robbie Fruin, who straightens up as well. Has yeah. Dag off his shoulder, gives it to Dag, yeah. and Dag's basically in the corner, untouched. Right. Um, and. Uh, yeah, Mikey. That's you say that, that that that's that's the kind of move that you now train and coach still today. Yeah. Just I, I I only I'm not a huge believer in in multiple like you know 15 or 20 different strike moves. Uh, you know, certainly club level. But this one just creates options all the way through. I mean, it's it's at some point there's seven different passing options or running options. Which is what you want your guys to guys to be looking looking for, looking at, playing what's in front of you, and that was such an eye opener to me. That that one try in particular, mm-hmm. especially when you break it down into what you can do with it, it's just astounding. And can I ask, uh, what are the key elements of when you train that? What are the key things that you you say to your guys? It's we're trying. We're, all we're trying to do is create options. You know, based based off of that, say okay. So what are your options at this point? So you can stop, break it down, break it down, roll it back, move it forward, walk it through, walk it through. You know, it's based on what the defense is doing and what your lines are. I mean, those lines and that uh, on that were just exceptional. Uh, they, you know, that's if you're looking at a strike boy, I would say that's probably still highly effective to this day uh, uh, just by playing the players evaluate what's happening from simple as that Mikey um, would I be right in saying that a key to that is the fact that your cent- your midfield your whatever plays you've got running in the center of that move must be running straight absolutely uh, that's Pretty much the uh, pretty much the game at this point, right? So you just gotta make make your defenders commit. Yes, which means you have to be running straight, and you can have your options running out the back, or or slicing slicing back inside for whatever. But that, you have to you have to have that yes. deception running running right. straight ahead, or or as an option. Yes, um, as a you know, just for our, for our viewers, one of the things that New Zealand does exceptionally well over the many, many decades is their midfielders run straight, right? And it's drilled into youngsters from early, is that if the ball's coming from your left, right, you do not drift to the right if you're in the midfield. So, unfortunately, if... Um, if your staple diet of rugby is touch, and you're trying to avoid contact. It, you develop these bad habits of taking the ball, say, coming from the left, and then what happens is you start to drift left as you run. But New Zealand, they are drilled that the ball is coming from the left, you hit the ball and you run straight, right? and you commit the defender. And that is why New Zealand has such a legacy of try scoring wings it's not only their talent but it's the midfield that creates space for them so you the wing the wingers are not being shifted always to the to the outside by their own players yeah so if you're looking uh so going on that point so if you're looking at like uh, the crusaders attack and a lot of other teams uh, i believe new zealand have adopted as well the 242 which you need the only way those patterns can be run effectively is if you actually run straight. Otherwise, it's gone. It's over. You, you can't. You can't function uh, properly. So that's the 
that's the biggest thing that I like to work on is, you know, especially when you set up a, a structure or pattern, you have to you have to take that ball. You can't you can't drift. You cannot drift at all on attack. And um, for for also for people watching, if you if you're coaching youngsters, what helps them to do that? If you say to them to give them a, a reference point, either a pole, right, or or if they're not opposite one of the the poles, if there's something um, a fence post or a marker or a building or something, and say you run at that, right, that is your line, and you stay on that line. Yeah, yeah. Even as much as uh, you can ever see someone get completely lit up on a tackle, mm. someone running straight on a defender who's got a clear shot at you. Uh, mm -hmm. That's but, yeah, that's but the the key is when you start running, though. Am I right, Mikey? Yeah, yeah. But, In fact, I, uh, I, I, when you start moving, when you start moving before the ball even gets to you, that tendency is to start to do this. So when you when the ball starts coming out of the ruck over there, so sorry, I'm I'm pointing, I'm quite small here. So so you're looking at the ball is coming from over there, right? And and the tendency is then to start doing this as that ball is coming. So you're sort of anticipating and you your head is going like this. But to say from the very beginning and the ball is two passes away from you, you're starting to run and you've lined yourself up and you start. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'd, I'd probably say in that in that regards, and I've done it as well. It's like you start going in the, you start running towards the ball, and that yeah. gives you an option to, to, to make that swerve outwards. Sure. You know, when there that defender is attracting mm -hmm. properly. The yeah. so we had that uh, that 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 wonderful try that, that lives in the memory now. We follow that up then with a again the sharks knock on the ball. The, the ball goes to Dan Carter, he steps, offloads um, to Dag, pass it to Ellis, pass it to Guildford. And the thing we remember about Zach Guildford is his drinking and his off-field issues. But actually watching him play, his pace, oh. he was rapid. Um, he, he was and, fast, was, and it's sad that he uh, succumbed to his uh, problems. I, I, I think uh, reading about him lately, though, he's... He's come back from that. Uh, uh, he's recovering from his issues. Mm. <laughs> have, have I not read that? <laughs> I, I don't keep up with the old uh, old All Blacks as much, but uh, well, so it, just, it, just, it just happens. He's, he's currently playing club rugby in Hamilton, where I'm walking around club rugby games. So, oh, okay. No comment. Same. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. He was, he was a talent for sure. Yep. Yeah, you know, and that, and, and, and on that, I mean, you look at that back three, you've got, uh, you know, Maitland who goes off to play for Scotland because, uh, and he is a bright spark for Scotland and, and has been for, shit, almost 10 years, I, I, I guess, or seven or eight. You've got Israel Dag, you've got Zach. I mean, those guys, like, that's a international back three. Yeah, well, oh, sure. And you've got some. Um, you've got Dag and Zach Gilford who played club rugby together. So these guys right. know yeah. each other inside out. They they know exactly. So the fact that you find Zach uh, um, Dag giving balls to Zach Gilford to score tries is no coincidence. It's because those guys have played since yeah. teenagers together all the way through, and they and and Zach Gilford just knows where to be to get that ball, and Dag knows he's going to be there. So. Yeah. Um, and that DAG in 2011, that's the Israel DAG where people were making comparisons with Christian Cullen. It was prior to DAG having his really bad thigh injury, um, where the, the, um, the quadricep was torn really badly, and he never was quite the same electric explosion after that. But yeah. that was right at the start of his international career, and and of course he went to the 2011 World Cup as the uh, second choice fullback, and then when Muliaina got injured, I think in the semi-final he played the final. But that was, and I remember I remember watching in 2011 in Port Elizabeth the uh, what was in Tri Nations 
test against the Springboks and think and watching from in the stands and I was very blessed to be there at the Nelson Mandela Stadium and watching from the stands and thinking this guy this guy is is a potentially another Christian Cullen quite exceptional he was he was a wonderful player in his, his time and, and even when he and, and you got to remember he got dropped in the 2015 Rugby World Cup but came back and was top try scorer for the All Blacks in 2016 I think from memory he was on, on absolute fire playing on the wing yeah a wonderful player um there and suddenly it's 34-10 um and yeah let's be honest the game has uh, has pretty much gone at this point but 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 we then have but. a kickoff and some teams yeah clearly the, the the crusaders clearly switched off a little bit here they thought the game was gone we have this restart so the sharks take it short just over the 10 meter line it gets battered back by their um, by one of their locks um, and then Pottinger collects it and runs it in from pretty much the halfway line with 15 Crusaders in front of him none of them mm. put a hand on him and you're like what? Yeah. <laughs> Pottinger is not a uh, mm. well he didn't show it in this game he's not someone I, I, I kind of remembered before this but he's not a Pat Lambie running with the ball by any stretch yeah um, yeah so yeah, he, he's, a, he's a he's a he's a serviceable Super Rugby fly half. He is not a he's not a, a Quade Cooper or a, uh, or, or a flashy running fly half by any stretch. But yeah, he, he yeah. went cut through the entire. Well, obviously you've got players wide either side that can't get to him, but still cuts through the entire team and scores um, scores a try, um, um, and then he misses the conversion. Uh, well, I, I probably have to say that defensive structures have come a long way in the last nine years. <laughs> I, I, that I, this I, is I, the kind of coach killer, right, Mikey? Where well, and you, you spoke about it earlier, Paul. Where um, where the Sharks did some, they score a try, and then from the kickoff, they give away a stupid penalty or and and this this is the kind of thing where you must want to pull your hair out, right? That lapse of concentration. Yep. Am I? Yeah, yeah, it's you know, and, and it could only be five guys, two laps of, laps of concentration, but it's still one third of the field. <laughs> yeah. And he just, yeah, as you said, a coach killer. So what, what, what happened? How did you all shut off one guy? You can see if you know phases building up, phases building up, players being manipulated. But then, one guy coming through a whole Crusaders outfit. Jesus. But this is also one of these situations where you're like, kind of like, he's not going to run all the way. I'm looking for the support runner, and I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I tackle the support runner. He's, he's, it's, it's one of those players where you go, you look at him, and go, yeah, he's not the, he's not the danger. The danger is that winger that's just about to hit his shoulder. So mm. the guy drifts out to the winger, leaving him alone, and he then runs through and, and scores. So yeah, it's, it's one of those ones that yeah, he can pull off occasionally, but it's not something he's going to do over and over again because he's not, I say, he's not hasn't got the footwork to, to, to do it regularly. Um, but uh, yeah, and then we saw some real game management by the Crusaders. The use it law wasn't in action at this point, mm. so you just saw the Crusaders set up a ruck, and Andy Ellis just stand there for about for about two minutes, just looking around, going, "What am I going to do with this?" Absolutely, <laughs> we are we are taking the pace totally out of this game. <laughs> okay, we've got ourselves okay. a big lead. We're not about to make a couple of mistakes and give up fourteen. To 21 points, we're just going to stop the game. Um, yeah. Great game management, horrible for the viewers, <laughs> to be honest. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You've literally got two sides just standing there in a line looking at each other with a ball sat at the back of a rug. <laughs> going, okay, go. No, do something. We're not going to. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's where the forwards made their, you know, uh, they, they made their money that game. <laughs> you know, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just stand here and beat each other down in this, uh, in this infernal ruck, and uh, we're not going to let the ball go out. Oh, that means there was no one new joining the ruck. There was no one. I mean, the ruck was pretty much a stationary lump of bodies. It really was going. It really, it really just the game stopped for 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 good uh, for, for a good minute. Um, the Sharks did get a penalty. Um, it was running up to half time at this point. 
you, you're you're thirty four fifteen down. You've got a kicker who can't hit the side of a barn. So what do you do? You kick sticks. To be fair, he got this one over um, on thirty eight minutes, and that ended the half. But you kind of like I'm sat there going, what you're you're um what are we what are we we're we're, we're nineteen points behind coming into uh, and you decide to kick sticks. I, I'm not sure what Smith was up to, was thinking at that point, but hey, interesting decision going into halftime. So, yeah. <laughs> so, just, let's just point out the moment here to everybody who's watching. We just covered the first half. Yes. <laughs> when you said the Sharks win it, the Sharks win it, and then bang, 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 there, was, there wasn't like game management for the last 10 minutes of the game. It's the last 10 minutes of the half. Yes, the first half, yes. Right? And and the point that I'd like to uh, raise here is that, yes, the Sharks had that easy try, and um, and they, they was, but by all intents and purposes, you would expect the Crusaders from this point to just motor into the distance, and and that would be it, right? Um, especially with all the travel. The Sharks had been on the road no, this was now their fifth week on the road away from home. No, this was their last game in, in New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. 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 So, this, so this is their uh, uh, fourth game, right? So you would expect them to, uh, you know, one foot on the plane to kind of like, oh, well, this is gone. This is, uh, I mean, you know. Um, but that second half, my goodness. And yeah, you're right. But it's, it's like the and we're, you know, we're talking about game management there with five minutes to go in the first half, slowing things down. Um, yeah, it's they, they the Crusades will do it when they need to because the Crusades are famous for scoring yeah. either side of half time. That's not what happened in this game. Yes, they actually they actually lost concentration at the end of the first half. Come out the second half though, scrum penalty. Dan Carson knocks over three more, and it's thirty-seven eighteen. Surely that does kill the game off, but no. Yeah. Um, but no. Hargreaves bashes over where the Sharks decide now to use the full width and use their two quick wingers to get them up the pitch so that Hargreaves, the, the lock, um, bash over for a try. Israel Dag follows it up with a moment of madness on his own 22, decides to take a quick line out. Um, the, the, the ball and player um, get, get, get smashed. The um, it gets turned over and... Um, some great support lines um, being being run down the right hand side for uh, for um, um, uh, Ngambi, um to score. Undungani. Undungani, thank you. To score. There we go. You got it. Um, and suddenly, we're up to four tries each. Um, we've had the one penalty from um, uh, the sorry two penalties kicked by the Sharks. Um, Three penalties kicked by the Crusaders, so surely it's a it's a three point game. No, it's thirty seven twenty eight still, even though it's four tries each, which shows you the importance of having a kicker. Because uh, yeah. the Sharks Absolutely. should have been in this. Just, just writing that down, just like okay, yeah, that's the kicking uh, you know, big difference there. Yep. Mm. At least at least to this point, yeah. And they even changed their kicker, and Bosman still misses. Um, so. The, so, so, so yeah, so I must apologise to Bossinger. He only missed. He only got one out of three. One out of three conversions. He didn't miss the fourth one. Bosman did. Um, <laughs> the, yes. Um, and you know what's not often spoken about in rugby, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, Mikey, is that um, the point of a penalty is a, is in the word. It's a penalty for uh, for doing something that you shouldn't have done. Right. Yep. So it's a it's it's a payment for being naughty. So stop doing that, right? Because it's going to cost you points. However, if it doesn't cost you points, it doesn't act as a deterrent. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a very good, very good point. A bit cynical, perhaps, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's why the, that's why the yellow card for professional infringements, especially close to your own try line, that's why that was brought in because 
the cynical view is, okay, we'll give you three points, right? It's better than a minimum five, possible seven. And in fact, the um, uh, now going back, say, sort of uh, 20 odd years, uh, 15 to 20 years, the, the, uh, the South African players used to call the five meter Appear, um, the five meter area in front of the Wallabies and the Waratahs line, they used to call it the war zone, W-A-U-G-H, because full war would infringe in those five meters. Right? So it was, it was a nickel. That's the war zone. You will, you will lie on the ball, slow it down, kill it, hands in the ruck, whatever. Um, but if you're not kicking the penalties, then the Crusaders are going to continue, especially the Crusaders, are going to continually infringe to make sure you don't get quick ball. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, now, talking about cards, there should have been a couple in this game. First off, we have um, Sykes pretty much taking off Sam, War- Sam Whitelock's head, but that's just a penalty. Um, as he just stuck his arm out in the, in, in the, sorry, in, in the, old, in the old days, it would be a matter of, yeah, if you just stick your arm out, throw your arm out, you, you kind of, oops, oh, it's instinctive, you get away with it. <laughs> Not nowadays. Yeah. That would have been a red card. Yeah. So Sykes was lucky to, um, uh, to, to to stay on. Sonny Bill Williams then uh, showed his um, rugby league roots with uh, one player having tackled the player. Sonny Bill Williams just touched the shoulder, bang, to the chin, um, and knocked a player on the ground. Um, the Sharks, perhaps in this case, were their own worst enemies because they took a quick tap and go. Off that penalty, if it had been a bit, if if there'd been a bit of uh, a TMO or there'd been a um, referee had time to think about it, you could have seen Sonny Bull go. Um, but yes, yeah. uh, there was, <laughs> there was, yeah, there was, there was no dropping, there was nothing. It was, it was upwards on the chin, and the player was on the ground for several minutes afterwards, trying to recover. Yeah. Um, concussion protocols were definitely not in play this day. As well, um, you know, back then were they ever though, really? No, oh, yeah, 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 no, that's what I mean. So, yeah, this is just, yeah, just reminding people as to how how the game was different back then. Um, the uh, but yeah, in yeah, both sides would have had a red card in this game, um, by today's uh, by, by today's rules. The Sharks are obviously chasing the game, which is why they did that tap and go, they had their opportunities. In this second half, uh, in the second half, to score more points, um, but they just didn't manage to. Uh, some bad decision making with grubbers through. Um, yeah. Meant that they didn't actually they, they could they didn't actually get any. They still had opportunities, but they didn't get get any. The Crusaders also had some end to end stuff, but we had Dag dropping the ball. We had um, other one other passes just going behind players. Do you think this by this stage you could have seen the jointly the travel? Starting to to affect decision making and and fine skills. I think so. Yep. Um, plus, we also had here that the, the sharks really were chasing the game, which meant it was broken play, which meant players look up and go, "Oh, there's an opportunity. Let's go." Which we know the Crusaders and we know the New Zealand teams do. If they see an opportunity, they say, "Right, let's go for it." Um, but there were so many of them because it was broken field because we, um, they were, the game was being chased. That so yeah. You, you, the, the players are out on their feet, really, but they're still just trying to do it. Um, we had. I remember. I remember there were so many instances of, even though it didn't lead to a direct score, right, so it's not, it won't form part of, let's say, the points highlight package. There were so many instances of breathtakingly wonderful rugby. Um, that didn't result in a, in a score, but just where you went, wow, again and again and again. Yep. No, they, yeah, they're both, yeah, was both, both sides were, but just that final ball wasn't quite there. Um, or the player would chase all the way back. I mean, the, um, there was one wonderful moment, um, actually it's at the end of the game, so that's why I'm not got to it yet, where George Whitelock um, picks up the ball in his own five-meter line and runs mm-hmm. all the way. Now this, this this is the number six. Remember, this is the lock. Runs all the way to the um, to the sharks five meter line before he gets the flank. Down. Sorry, I mean the flank. The flank. You said six, six. The lock. Yeah. Six. Okay. Sorry, six. The flank. The flank. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. This yeah. is this isn't Adam the the winger white lock. This is the mm-hmm. the, the the flank white lock. Mm-hmm. Um, 
who runs through his own five meter line and just gets dragged down on the shark's five meter line. Should he have passed it? Oh yes, but hey, he he had white line fever from a long way out. Um, <laughs> I'm going, to, I'm going to score. <laughs> um, okay, raise your hand if you've never done that yourself. <laughs> um, and at that stage, the uh, the Crusaders were playing with 14 men because Sam Whitelock was injured and they'd used up all their, all their replacements already. Um, so for the past five few minutes. Um, but we also, I mean, you've talked a lot about the offloading in this game and how that was basically being introduced to the Northern Hemisphere. The other skill that's being introduced in Northern Hemisphere here was the no-look inside pass. Because Stuart Barnes had no idea what had happened. <laughs> when this... Really? Really? <laughs> Absolutely. He, he, was, he, he was trying to describe it, and he couldn't. <laughs> and um, Justin Marshall had to, had to come in and go, the no-look inside pass. And he's like, oh, that's what you call it. Okay, cool. We have a name now. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I guess that era, we're old now, I guess, when we're saying that era. But uh, there were some really exciting innovations that came through, uh, especially from the Southern Hemisphere teams. It's not just Crusaders, you know, South Africa was working on, on, on stuff in Australia as well. And you know, when we started seeing it up here, certainly. Yeah. Well, I think this, wasn't this also the time that we had the ETFs, all those kind of. Um, they, they, they tried to put all, uh, probably about three years before this when they put the, the ETF yeah. in, um, where like things like you were allowed to sack a mall, you were, and there were all sorts of innovations they were, they were trying to bring in to improve the yep. kind of the, 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 the spectacle, um, sorry, spectacle mm -hmm. of the game um, that, uh, that thankfully got thrown out. But yeah, so if Bertie Lee had come on at this point for, um, for Ellis. Yeah, the experimental law variations at the ELVs, I think, were ELVs, coming out in 2008, was it? 2008? Yeah, so that's so clearly, and that, and that was all Southern Hemisphere driven. So it clearly, yeah, you say the, the Southern Hemisphere teams were trying to do, trying to really step up the game at this point during this period. Um, yeah, so firstly, he inside ball to Guildford, um, who uh, gives it to Maitland for the for the last try on on 68 minutes, 44 28. Um, so we're talking about what a, a uh, 16 point um, lead uh, in this game. And only one try more by the Crusaders than the Sharks. Yeah. So this game was, yeah, the Crusaders were always comfortably in the lead. The reason was, unfortunately, the Sharks just couldn't couldn't kick sticks um, in this game. Otherwise, it would have been much closer. Mm. Um, also, if I can just point out, and this is a lot of credit to Rusty Erasmus, is you saw in that game especially up until the point where they were really chasing it, is they were reverting to the South African type of running into contact, rather running into space. Um, and Willem Albers is the archetypal South African uh, player who, um, in fact, his nickname um, through his rugby career was the bone collector, right? <laughs> It's rather right. sinister. <laughs> yeah. um, and I've heard um, a, a live interview panel discussion uh, with J.P. Peterson, who played with him at the Sharks and, and the Springboks, and they said, um, who would you, they were asking questions like, who would you not like to tackle and who would whatever. And he mentioned, he said, I just am very glad that I played with Willem Alberts because I used to run behind him um, when he carried the ball. As a winger, he run that support line for him as he trucked it up. And he said, and I used to hear the sound that he made, the sound when he made contact. And he said it wasn't a very pleasant sound. Right? <laughs> well, yes. And Albert Smith, say, the, the opening try for the yes. Sharks, yeah, Bash yeah. took three players with him as he scored that opening yeah. try. Yeah, he was a That's powerful right. runner. Um, yes. And, uh, he, took, he took a beating on his body. But the, but the Sharks played into contact, right? which is the New Zealanders play into space. Um, and that's the great change that we've seen, especially in the back line in the last uh, sort of 18 months under Rassi Rasmus uh, and then, you know, into the World Cup. So um, there was, a, there was a, a, a skill difference as well 
in the way that the All Blacks utilize space. Sorry, Mikey, I interrupted you. You were going to say something? No, 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 no. I was... Uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, at some points you have to use your, your, uh, you know, your big players to your advantage if that's what you're, if that's what you have in your, uh, in your, uh, in your toolkit. Uh, you know, you still see that uh, happening with a lot of teams out there. Uh, although I do like the idea of running into space. I mean, I'm back. I like continuity. I like the game always moving and going forward. Uh, but if you got a big guy who's going to take three people with him, if you can get a quick recycle ball off of that, then suddenly, uh, you know, it's, it's 14 against 12. I mean, that makes a huge difference. Would it be nice thing if that big guy ran an extra five meters? Probably. You know, the big thing for me when I've tried to explain this to people, um, and it's not so much a relevant example at the moment because they're not so much in rugby anymore. The, for me, the incredible comparison was Milamu versus Bismarck Duplessis. Kevin Milamu and Bismarck Duplessis. So I have a huge regard for Milamu as a player and as a leader. Uh, but he was nowhere near the physical specimen that Bismarck Duplessis was. Right, yeah. But very few rugby players are physically as gifted as Bismarck Duplessis was. But Kevin Mialan, um had an incredible career, and right at the end of his career, he had this ability to shift the point of contact in those close quarters um, where he played as a hooker. He always was shifting his hips, stepping, pivoting, moving. And so you never lined him up uh, shoulder to shoulder because he was always just doing this and just moving, just stepping, just changing before the point of contact where you hit him. And as a result, he was always, if not beating the first tackler, he was at least getting his arms past the point of the tackle, right? So... As a, as a coach, you, uh, uh, Mikey will tell you, what you want your players to do is to be able to, even if they can't pass the ball, so he had the ability to pass the ball, but even if there is no pass to be made, when you go to ground, you want your arms free so that you can place, right, Mikey? So you can put the, place the ball out there. So as a result, because he was always getting his torso free, he wasn't just simply tucking the ball under an arm and then dropping a shoulder and going in like this and being wrapped up. Because he was always shifting, he was always in such a good position to beautifully place the ball. Yeah. And we could, we, you know, we could probably call it the same. We could call it ABC agility before contact. But I think it's uh, a really good point you make. It's, it's still being able to get that upper body free from, from that point of contact so you can actually either make a proper placement or look for that you know, offload or pop-up, some, something along those lines. So, That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's really important. That's it. Now imagine, imagine if, imagine if Bismarck Duplessis, from young, had been taught the same way, and and imagine if he shifted the point of contact instead of just simply dropping the shoulder and i'm going to barge right over you instead he stepped and ran at your arm instead of your your shoulder we have this conversation here in canada all the time and uh, <laughs> it's so oddly enough when you're a big strong gifted player you do what uh, you do best which is run straight things and try and knock them over. Um, uh, you know, a lot of really good coaches uh, uh, here, technically quite good, but as players, they were always that guy who took that ball, trying to go an extra 10 meters, which you know, we know that usually results in a slow ball or a turnover ball. Sort of asked, so, uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, I would look at the smart guys and say, what do you, how do you approach the game? You know, Neil Amel was a smaller guy in the international scale, but, but probably 
be a lot smarter because he wasn't that big or wasn't as big as his opposition. Yeah, I mean, a player who made most of his, of, of, of his abilities. Bringing it back to this, to the 2011 season, though. <laughs> the, 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 um, the Crusaders finished the season with 11 wins, one draw, um, and uh, four losses to finish top of the New Zealand Conference and third overall, the third seed. The Sharks, though, also 10, 10 wins, one draw, five losses. So only four points behind the, the Crusaders overall on the table. So, I mean, look, this, this, these were two of the top sides in, in the competition that year. The Sharks went on to visit um, and uh, play the Crusaders in that quarterfinal um, game, and which was held um, in uh, Trafalgar Park in Nelson. That finished 36-8. Um, so the Crusaders uh, went, went, um, went through there. They then travelled over to um, South Africa to beat, um, beat the Stormers 10-29 before meeting the Reds mm-hmm. in the final. That final game is another game that we will have on this on the, uh, the Retro Rugby Show. Myself and John will be joined by Shane, um, who, is who is a Reds fan. And obviously, he has very pleasant memories no, yeah. of that really? game. Really? He's a Reds fan? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so um so yeah so we'll have we'll, there isn't quite as many instances uh incidents or, or scoring in that game as there is in this one so it probably won't take quite the full hour to go through the whole game but um but yes don't forget to uh to, to join myself and john uh and shane to talk about the the, the 2011 super rugby final um so yeah following up following on from this game uh, and there are plenty of other games also lined up for me uh, to, to talk through. So please don't forget um, to yeah, support the channel. Um, and um, yeah, I'm sort of trying to decide whether this is going to be a supporter only or actually on YouTube. We'll see. But um, thank you, everyone, for, for watching. Thank you so much, John, for joining me and, suggest- and for suggesting no this game. Hey, John, uh, pleasure. Uh, great to meet you, Mikey. Great to, to chat with you. Great to have a, a coach. Great to have to be able to talk to somebody who really knows a bit about rugby. Um, <laughs> uh, Mikey, thank you, thank you very much for joining us again for, and, and for saying and, and for, 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 your, for your memories from this game and the fact that you still coach some of the moves in this game. Um, I've been trying to get you on the show for a couple of years now, and eventually I've got you on camera, which is good. So thank you uh, for joining me as well. Paul, can the can the uh, viewers? Uh, drop you, uh, uh, I don't know, email you or contact you or, or post and about some ideas that maybe they might have because we might be in this phase for quite some time of, uh, of, no, of no sport generally, right? So comments down below, any games that you would like us to review, um, definitely. And if there's any other things you would like to hear from us about um, on rugby, then, uh, then, then do let us know. Uh, we, the Hash Rugby Chat will still be going live at 8 p.m every Tuesday uh, and as John has suggested we will be having we will also include in there some recommendations on box sets to watch um, as well because we know that uh, it's not just rugby you need, need a break from rugby at times uh, as some TV shows are also worth doing so yes yeah, so definitely um, join us live 8 p.m. every Tuesday in Hash Rugby Chat where we'll be talking about rugby and also giving you our best TV tips um, as well so thank you everybody uh, and um, catch you all next time